Hey, Deserving Listeners, this is Chapter 3 in my deep dive on Schizotypal Personality Disorder, and as an introduction to this chapter, I thought I would present some famous cases of people who have Schizotypal. Now, the first thing that I want to go into is that when you Google famous people with Schizotypal Personality Disorder, you get a lot of lay individuals who are diagnosing from afar, and there's a lot of dubiousness to that. So let me just talk about that up front. I, I looked at a lot of the different famous people who were diagnosed from afar, not only diagnosed from afar, but diagnosed from far before history. You know, people that lived and died hundreds of years ago, people are diagnosing them with schizotypal personality disorder, which is really quite silly, um, not only because it's diagnosing from afar, but it's also diagnosing with extremely limited information. Basically, some internet author will barely understand schizotypal or read a couple of the criteria and then just start willy-nilly applying it to everyone. For example, a lot of people are diagnosing Emily Dickinson, the poet, with schizotypal. And what I think is going on is that anyone in the past who was, you know, very much of a loner, someone who kept to themselves in a way that seemed odd, at least to, you know, our modern eyes, our contemporary eyes, there's a tendency of authors to want to diagnose those people with schizotypal. So just knowing that someone is a loner does by no means indicate the person has schizotypal. There's so many other reasons as to why someone would be a loner. One, they can have nothing pathological about their personality or, or their psychology, and they just like to be alone. Some people are really introverted or, uh, you know, they just don't, or the circumstances in their community are such that they just, it doesn't go well. There's also social anxiety. There's also schizoid. You know, there's a variety of different things that could result in someone being a loner. Could she have had it? Yeah, she could. We just don't have of the data. Then it, so there's the loner category. And then the other category is anyone who's paranoid. So people like Adolf Hitler and Kim Jong Il, these you know leaders who are known for their rampant, heavily destructive paranoia, will be diagnosed with, with schizotypal just because they're paranoid. <laughs> which is a, a gross misunderstanding of schizotypal personality as a whole. Did these individuals have schizotypal? It's, you know, it's possible, but from the little I know about these individuals in, in history, it doesn't seem extremely likely. Another category of historical individual that will be diagnosed with schizotypal are creative but struggling individuals, people like Vincent van Gogh. Vincent van Gogh is famous for his very creative art. I don't know the word for it. You know, he revolutionized art, according to many, but also he was struggling in a lot of ways. And you could write a book on all the different um, speculations as to what Van Gogh was suffering from. I'm sure he's been diagnosed from afar with like bipolar or schizophrenia or, you know, various different things. So did he have schizotypal? Hmm, you know, not a huge indication, but possible. Another, the fourth category I would see online are people who were odd. Any famous person who is strange in a famous way will be diagnosed with schizotypal. People like the fictional character of Kramer on Seinfeld, people will diagnose him with schizotypal. <laughs> I just think, wow, that is a massive misunderstanding of schizotypal and really stigmatizing of schizotypal. Just, you know, someone that's strange is schizotypal. Another person that I saw diagnosed with schizotypal is Doc Brown from Back to the Future. <laughs> 
And I saw one article that literally diagnosed every character on the Big Bang Theory, the TV show. They diagnosed just as a blank. They didn't even name the individual. Said, you know, everyone on the Big Bang Theory has schizotypal, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Like, I've seen a few episodes of Big Bang Theory, and uh, there's really no one that would qualify for a schizotypal, not even the slides. You could make kind of an argument that, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. The the main funny guy. Anyway, you could make kind of an argument against schizotypal, but that's not the label or the conceptualization that I would go down with him. Maybe that's for a whole other episode. But So let me actually present some people who were legit diagnosed with schizotypal by clinicians who had assessed these individuals. This list is mainly a list of serial killers and mass murderers. And that presents a problem because I do not want to equate schizotypal with any kind of crime or murder or serial killing or mass murder. The research does not connect these two things. They're not associated with each other. The vast, vast majority of murders in general are committed by people without a serious mental illness, and the vast, vast majority of people with a mental illness do not commit murder or any kind of subset of murder, like mass killing or serial killing. So I want that to be clear. <laughs> so I don't want this to be a, I don't want to add to that ridiculousness in our culture that equates these things. However, there has been a theory put forth by some responsible researchers and authors in my field saying that when you have both trauma and some form of schizophrenia, whether it be schizotypal or uh, schizoaffective, this kind of thing, then the chance of this individual becoming a murderer of some sort is increased. Uh, the researchers will look at a lot of the famous cases and not so famous cases of serial killers and other mass murders, and they will point to the commonalities among them. A lot of trauma, a lot of very, very extensive, serious trauma early in life. And the individual seemingly was born with a disposition or developed some form of psychosis, whether it be mild, moderate, or severe. And when you have those two things, then you have the breeding grounds for this behavior. Now, I want to point out that even for those individuals that have severe trauma and some form of psychosis, the vast, vast, vast majority of those people do not commit murder. So it's just, it's just seemingly like a, a, a notable commonality among a lot of people who commit these kinds of crimes. So that's, I just want to say that up front. But there are people, famous people, who have been diagnosed with schizotypal. So here we go. Jeffrey Dahmer was diagnosed with schizotypal. He was also diagnosed with borderline personality and just general psychosis. I couldn't get the the exact diagnosis just i read it was just general psychosis who knows if you know who who Je jeffrey dahmer was he was a serial killer and he had a lot of the signs i've done deep dives on jeffrey dahmer and of course i can't diagnose him from afar from my end but i can look at the data and i can look at the assessments that were conducted with him and there are some signs for example he was a loner he did have some magical thinking. He did have odd thinking and odd behavior in speech. He had constricted affect. He was suspicious of others, seemingly. And there were signs of mild psychosis. So I think the schizotypal with Je Jeffrey Dahmer is possible. Again, I do not want to equate serial killing with schizotypal, but one serial killer was diagnosed with schizotypal. 
Another serial killer is Ed Kemper. Some of you who watched the Mindhunter series on Netflix might recognize him being fictionalized or uh, uh, recreated, I suppose, in that show. Another serial killer, and after being caught, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but later it was found that he did not have full-blown psychosis, so the diagnosis was revised to schizotypal personality disorder, along with antisocial personality and narcissistic personality. So... I think that's another thing to point out is that if you just have schizotypal, the chance of you becoming a murderer isn't very high. You have to probably also suffer from antisocial or psychopathy or some other issue that is creating the motivation to actually kill people because people with schizotypal do have compassion for other people. They do have empathy. They don't want to hurt other people. So uh, in all likelihood, all these serial killers, in addition to having schizotypal, also had other complicated factors that led to them having the callous murdering of other people. Now, from what I understand, both Ed Kemper and Jeffrey Dahmer were diagnosed after the fact, after they were caught with schizotypal. And you could imagine that the assessment, the assessor, the psychologist could be biased because of the extreme nature of their behavior, of the serial killing that could push them to over pathologize the individual. So it'd be more convincing if we had someone that was diagnosed with schizotypal prior to the crime, right? Well, we do have someone like that. We have James Holmes, who was the Aurora, Colorado killer in 2012. He was diagnosed with schizotypal before he committed mass murder. And it was because he had social phobia. He was a loner. He had odd behavior. He had mild psychosis. He was paranoid. For example, he thought he was being watched by the FBI when he wasn't. And the defense argued, actually, as a way of trying to uh, uh, reduce the chance of him getting the death penalty, I believe, that he had schizophrenia and not schizotypal and that he was insane at the time of the crime. In custody, though, he had a 22-hour assessment by a clinician, and he was diagnosed with schizotypal. Uh, a different assessment, though, found him with schizoaffective disorder. And this gets to the what I would argue to be the subject the subjective nature of some of these labels. A lot of people in my field will claim that these labels are objective labels because they are scientific and all these kinds of things. But, you know, you, you get a bunch of clinicians in a room, you're going to get different things. Does it negate the activity of diagnosing? No, absolutely not. It's just that when you have certain presentations of symptoms, you know, it, it depends on the day with the person you're assessing. It depends on the the opinion to some extent of the assessor. Also, some of these disorders, the there's a lot of overlap, which I'll get into, uh, I think, in this episode if, if I get there. You know, there's a lot of overlap between schizoaffective and schizotypal. To me, they're pretty distinct, but, you know, if someone was in the middle, I could see it, one person landing on schizotypal and one person landing on schizoaffective. So I just want to remind everyone again that I do not want to associate schizotypal with any sort of crime, let alone murder, because there, if there is an association, it's so small that to draw that 
that connection is ridiculous. Just as a another statistical example that I'll give here, the vast majority of murders are committed by men. People who identify as men. Does that mean that when you meet a man that you should assume that that individual is going to kill you. No, everyone understands the statistical problem with that, right? The vast majority of murders, murders are committed by men, but the vast, vast, vast majority of men do not kill anyone. Well, it's even a greater ridiculous notion to equate schizotypal with murder. So I hope that makes sense to people. The way to look at it is with some individuals who have schizotypal, if they have, you know, a hundred other factors that contribute to them making the decision to kill someone, schizotypal is one of those hundred factors. You know what I mean? So just having schizotypal is not enough of a reason to suspect or predict someone would commit any kind of murder. But the next person I want to talk about is Dylan Klebold. He is one of the mass murderers who perpetrated the Columbine High School massacre. A paper was published in 2010 by Peter Langman, and I just want to quote his article. So he says here, this article examines the cases of 10 rampage school shooters in an effort to find out not only how they are alive, but also how they differ. Out of the 10 shooters discussed, three were traumatized, five were psychotic, and two were psychopathic. The five psychotic shooters had schizophrenia spectrum disorders, including schizophrenia and schizotypal personality disorder. They all came from intact families with no history of abuse. So just chiming in here, the article by Peter Langman, 2010, again, just reiterating what he's saying here is that he looked at 10 rampage school shooters and tried to categorize them. And three were in the traumatized category, five were in the psychotic category as he categorized them, and two were in the psychopathic or the antisocial category, the lack of empathy category. And uh, to be specific about it, so the biggest group were the psychotic group was a psychotic group. And within the psychotic group, They suffered from psychotic disorders like schizophrenia and schizotypal. And he points out that these five psychotic shooters came from what he's calling intact families, meaning I'm thinking the parents are still together, and that there was no history of abuse. We can be dubious about a statement like that because we can't know if the individuals were or were not traumatized based on reports from their parents or their community or something, you know, because oftentimes these shooters will die in the process of their mass shooting, so we can't ask them. But even if we did ask them, it's hard to know. It's just hard to know if any kind of historical account is accurate, right? I mean, some people have been abused and they don't even know or remember that they've been abused, for example. Anyway, but just going on with the paper here, Dylan appears to have had schizotypal personality disorder. So again, just chiming in, appears is the key word here. (laughs) Wasn't properly assessed. This individual writing the paper is just looking at science. But I I think it's it's worthy kind of going through this. As is often the case with schizotypals, Dylan struck many people as odd. The thousands of interviews conducted by Jefferson County Sheriff's Office in the wake of the attack contain numerous comments from Dylan's peers about his odd behavior, his greasy, dirty hair his unusual clothes, and his general, quote-unquote, goofiness. So just chiming in here, 
it's hard to know. Odd behavior, greasy, dirty hair, unusual clothes, goofiness. You know, it's hard to know if that's a, a clear indication of one of the criteria for schizotypal. But, you know, it's in that category going, going on here. He was markedly shy and socially awkward. He wrote about his social difficulties in his journal. Quote, Nobody accepting me even though I want to be accepted. Me doing badly and being intimidated in any and all sports. Me looking weird and acting shy. Big problem. End of quote. So let's look at this statement in his journal. And it, this does lend itself to the credibility of the you know, the post-mortem diagnosing of someone if you have their journal, right? Because that's uh, it's very important data, very helpful data. And he says here, nobody is accepting of me, even though I want to be accepted. That statement is at the foundation of schizotypal, in my opinion. The people that I've treated with schizotypal, they all have that sentiment that they want to be accepted, so they're not schizoid, but they believe that nobody accepts them, which is probably not the case unless they have engineered it through their weird defensive behavior with everyone. So, you know, it's a hallmark of schizotypal. Does that indicate the person had schizotypal? No, but, you know, it's in, it's in that direction going on here. He misused language in a number of ways. He distorted actual words into words that do not exist. He had tangled grammar and odd passages of inarticulate content. This never became a word salad, as in the speech of schizophrenics, but given that Dylan was a bright young man, his misuse of language is noteworthy. All right, just chiming in here. Yeah, this is another hallmark for a lot of people with schizotypal, and it doesn't correlate logically with the other elements of schizotypal until you understand the whole pathway to that, which I went into in chapter two. But but yeah, it's interesting to note, and according to this author, Dylan was intelligent, so presumably understood or at least had the capacity to understand grammar and how to word things in a way that was common to people. And and yet he would use tangled grammar, odd passages of inner inarticulate content, but the inarticulateness, the odd speaking wasn't so odd that we would call it word salad, which is what people with schizophrenia will present. So it's in that direction, right? Yeah, it's another another criteria that we could say is potentially being met going on here with the paper. Dylan also had strange ideas that appear to have been delusions. His alienation was so extreme that he apparently saw himself as not being human. He wrote, being made a human without the possibility of being human. So, being made a human without the possibility of being human. Another quote, humanity is something I long for, end of quote. He also viewed himself as a godlike being. For example, he wrote, me is a god. Okay, just chiming in here. Yeah, that's in the direction of schizotypal for sure going on here. Dylan exhibited paranoia. He thought that everyone in his life hated him and felt like he was being conspired against. He also wrote about being persecuted by God, interpreting simple events as a conspiracy against him. This did not seem to be a fixed delusion, however, but rather a transient response to particular events. Just chiming in here. Yeah. 
that's definitely in the direction of schizotypal for sure. You have that pretty significant paranoia, but it's not a fixed delusion as in with schizophrenia going on here. Dylan's odd presentation, social anxiety, mild paranoia, misuse of language, and fantasy delusional thinking all suggest that he had schizotypal personality disorder. So, you know, pretty interesting case that this author is making, the author being Peter Langman. All right, another individual who was diagnosed with schizotypal prior to the crimes is an individual named Jake Angeli. Now, you might not recognize that name, but everyone knows him as the QAnon shaman, right? Do you remember the individual who participated in the January 6th attack on the Capitol, the fellow who had the face paint on and the, I don't know, the weird hat, buffalo hat, I think it is the way I might describe it, the QAnon shaman. He was diagnosed with schizotypal before his crimes while he was serving in the Navy. He believed in several conspiracy theories throughout his adult life, including QAnon. He also believed that Biden stole the election. He was an anti-vaxxer. He believed in the deep state and so on. And he often vehemently protested various different things in his outfit in his home state of Arizona. Incidentally, he asked Trump for a pardon after he was detained and, and sentenced. The pardon never happened. I, I don't think any of those pardons ever happened. Now he says he feels betrayed by Trump and he hates him. And then in 2021, a couple years ago, he was sentenced to 41 months in prison, three and a half years. So... That is Jake Angeli, otherwise known as the QAnon shaman, diagnosed with schizotypal before his crimes. Another famous person who was diagnosed with schizotypal is Bo Bergdahl. If you're familiar with him, he was in the U.S. Army serving in Afghanistan in 2009. Uh, incidentally, the season two of Serial, is, this podcast, is all about him. You know, the first season was about Adnan Syed, I believe his name was, and the second season was about Bo Bergdahl. A lot of people didn't like season two of Serial, but I actually thought it was really interesting. But anyway, so he was serving in the U.S. Army in Afghanistan 2009, and he seemingly just wandered away from the military compound, which was extremely unsafe and unheard of, given the fact that they were essentially kind of surrounded by the enemy, so to speak. He was swiftly captured by the Taliban after he just randomly wandered away from the compound, and he was held captive for five years. And upon release, he was court-martialed, and the defense diagnosed him with schizotypal personality disorder. By the way, he was dishonorably discharged, and he wasn't sentenced to any prison time. Now, why was he diagnosed with schizotypal? I couldn't really find much information on that. But from my memory of season two of Serial Podcast was he was a loner. He had some odd thinking. He had some magical thinking. I, I think that uh, one of the speculations, it's hard to know because he was held captive for five years. And then after he was, uh, you know, released or given back to the United States, they asked him, why did you do this? And da, da, da. And there seemed to be some inconsistencies as to what his motivation was. But one of the 
reports is that he was motivated because he believed that he could interact with the Taliban, like he thought he would be this emissary or he'd be able to make friends and end the war. So, I don't know. So could that be a sign of schizotypal? Sure, it's possible. But I just thought I'd present that case as well. A lot of, you know, a lot of really notable cases of individuals being diagnosed with schizotypal. Another person who might have had schizotypal is Mark Chapman. He is the person who killed John Lennon in 1980. We did a whole deep dive, me and Umberto, on Mark Chapman. He wasn't diagnosed with schizotypal, but when I think about his his history, I think that it's possible to conceptualize him as such. He had a really difficult childhood, lots of family conflict and violence. He had a lot of magical thinking, even as a child and as an adult. He, for example, believed that these little people lived in the walls that he could communicate with. He was a loner, even though he never really wanted to be a loner. He, uh, for example, when he was gearing up to kill someone and John Lennon was just on his list. He wanted to kill Paul McCartney. He wanted to kill all sorts of Ronald Reagan, I think was on his list. And during this time, he listened to the Beatles late at night. He stripped naked, he lit candles, and he asked Satan to give him the power to kill John Lennon. Uh, He believed that the little people in the walls, this is him as an adult, were now rich and powerful. These little people were rich and powerful and they were looking down on him. And he presented his plan of killing John Lennon to the board of directors in these little people. And by little people, I'm talking like, you know, two inches tall, that kind of thing. And also he got completely obsessed with the book Catcher in the Rye. And he reported that he was living inside the book. And he says, quote, I decided to kill John Lennon to make others aware of Catcher in the Rye. And so end of quote, does that indicate it's typo? What's going on there? I don't know. Another example of what we might frame as magical thinking was he thought that John knew that he was going to be assassinated and and accepted his fate. He thought the assassination was destiny and Mark Chapman himself was a part of destiny. That's certainly not very coherent thinking, right? So when he was caught and he had his trial, there were six defense experts who assessed him, trying, I think, to establish that he was insane at the time of the crime. And all six concluded that Mark Chapman was psychotic at the time of the crime. Crime. Five diagnosed him as being suffering from paranoid schizophrenia, and one diagnosed him with manic depression with psychosis. I think today they might call it schizoaffective. I'm not quite sure. They might have also diagnosed him with bipolar psychosis. But these, as I'll get into later, I think in this chapter, paranoid schizophrenia, bipolar with psychosis, if you had mild versions of these disorders, you could pretty easily also be, or instead of be diagnosed with schizotypal personality disorder. And, uh, you know, no one diagnosed him with schizotypal, so I'm not going to claim that. But I don't know. It, there, there's some signs there. And there were many other serious criminals who were diagnosed either before the crime or after the crime with schizotypal. People like Edward Harper, who was a serial rapist of children. Matthew Harris, who was a a very famous Australian serial killer. Also, Sue Poco, who's a famous serial killer in Hong Kong, who was also a police officer, which is an interesting case. And the list goes on and on. I mean, if if you look at the, the lists online of people who have been diagnosed after or before the crime was schizotypal. It's a pretty long list of serious criminals, you know, a lot of serious criminals. And that's interesting. It's notable. (laughs) 
Again, I do not want to equate schizotypal, because remember that the prevalence for schizotypal, you know, conservative estimates put it at three or 4%, could be as high as five or 6% of the population. So we're talking about millions and millions of people around the planet who are likely to suffer from schizotypal and would qualify for the disorder. And so uh, of those, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of individuals, are you going to have some extreme, extreme outliers who commit crimes potentially slightly motivated by the mild delusions involved in schizotypal? Uh, perhaps. I would argue, and this is often the case with these kinds of behavioral uh, prediction areas, that it's not the disorder that causes the problem. It's the way society reacts to these individuals that causes the problem. So when you have schizotypal, because there's not a lot of awareness or service these individuals will not know they have schizotypal and they will try to survive and they will try to get by, but they will create a lot of issues in their life because they're paranoid of others and they've been through a lot of traumas. And even if they didn't know, even if they knew they had schizotypal, there's not a lot of great treatment out there. Uh, also, treatment can be hard to come by, it can be hard to afford. And so, these individuals will be, you know, will run into some issues socially and economically because it can be hard to work with schizotypal sometimes. And thus, you are alone, you're rejected, you feel like you're being treated unfairly, you have higher stress levels, you have higher symptomology, and that is a breeding ground for anger of various different forms. And in the extreme outlier on the bell curve of, you know, likely behaviors or observed behaviors, you have individuals who might murder or even go on indiscriminate murder sprees. So I, I just want that to be clear. Do not equate anything in the DSM with murder, other than potentially antisocial or psychopathy, sadistic personality disorder, which is no longer in the DSM, is also another thing that you could maybe associate. But I'll, I'll even go there. The vast majority of people with psychopathy or antisocial or sadistic personality disorder do not murder anyone. I've treated many people with antisocial personality disorder or psychopathy, and none of them had killed anyone. So it's it's just a, a stigma that unfortunately persists in our culture. Movies and TV shows and politicians don't help this association, this false association. So, uh, you know, I feel really weird about presenting these famous cases of schizotypal. Uh, you know, I was trying to look for someone that wasn't a serious criminal with schizotypal you know, like a famous actor or something. And I, I just couldn't find any, there, there were people that were uh, um, speculated as, you know, like Vincent Van Gogh, these kinds of people who might have schizotypal, but nothing seemed compelling to me. So I don't know, but you know, I thought I'd present it. It's interesting. So in this chapter, I'm going to go over the dimensions of schizotypal. I'm going to talk about some more real cases. I'm going to talk about what we might call happy schizotypal, meaning that it's a positive thing to have schizotypal or at least be on the spectrum. We're going to talk about comorbidities and differentials, schizotypy, schizophrenia, autism, uh, neurodevelopmental disorders, ADHD, adolescent issues, substance abuse, personality disorders. We're going to talk about the history of the disorder, how it was conceptualized over time. It, you know, it goes back quite a ways, as you can imagine. I'm going to present more research. I'm going to talk about treatment. I'm going to read your emails. And if I get to it, I might provide a little bit more detail on how to assess this. But to hear the rest of this chapter and all the chapters on this deep dive, you have to be a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. So go to patreon.com, become a patron of this podcast if you want. And otherwise, take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do.